From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Peter Dutton has an uphill battle. Even he would admit that. But the leader of the opposition, who's best known for tough, hardline conservative talking points, is trying to put himself in the best position possible by insisting he has a softer side and striking a contrast with his predecessor, Scott Morrison. But beneath his attempts to rebrand himself, who is he and where did his ideas come from? Today, contributor to The Monthly, Malcolm Knox, on what Peter Dutton is prepared to do to become Prime Minister. It's Monday, November 7. Malcolm, there seem to be a lot of people, some of whom want to remain anonymous, others who are more willing to put their name to it, who have suggested that Peter Dutton is not how he seems, that there is more to him than you might think, that he is, in fact, a different man in private, a much nicer man than his public image suggests. So can you tell me a bit about what you've heard and what you've read to that effect? Yes, I think it's a predictable part of the process that when a politician changes their role from the specific commission he was given as immigration minister, as home affairs minister, as defence minister, which was which was very much that of a you know a government hard man who was out there to perform a specific task for his party in government. Now he's changed roles to the leadership and, of course, there's a kind of a makeover taking place where they want to expand his appeal and project him into the public as a more rounded character than the targeted role he was playing before. To many voters, the former Defence, Immigration and Home Affairs Minister is a hard head, a public image his own colleagues concede is problematic. Mr Dutton says Australians would witness a gentler side of him, arguing that the public had grown accustomed to him being seen in tough portfolios. All I would say is that I'm not going to change, but I want people to see the entire person that I am. And I want people to reserve and make their own judgments when they beat me. When you scratch the surface of Peter Dutton, you actually see that he's not an extremist as what he's been painted as. He actually is quite pragmatic. In this role, you can show people uh, a little bit more of uh, the true, you know, full picture. My view is that they don't know the real Peter Dutton. And I've heard that myself from people who've met him, that, you know, Dutton takes them by surprise because they, they have a certain image in their head and he comes across as more of a, I suppose, an informal, even humorous uh, individual. It's also interesting to me that he's being recast in specific contrast to Scott Morrison, the effort to leave not only the Morrison years behind, but the Morrison personality. And I can't think of any federal election since 1996 when when Paul Keating was so resoundingly dumped by the Australian people that an election was, was so strongly influenced by the electorate's personal loathing for an individual, and and that was Morrison. So the Liberal Party's task, and I think, you know, Dutton is quite enjoying this role, it's to say, 
I'm a different person from Scott Morrison. I'm I'm a straighter person. I'm a more believable person. I'm not that superficial, untrustworthy guy from marketing. I'm somebody who has created myself over the years. I have been consistent through those years. You know what you're getting with me. And I think there is a degree of credibility in that, that Morrison clearly lacked, which was identified by the Australian electorate. Mm. Okay. And so there's a rebrand underway. And I know that you've recently interviewed Peter Dutton, and, and I'm curious to hear what you think of him and and this idea of the new Dutton versus the old public image and, and who he really is. But before we get to that, I'd like to look at his history as a way of of understanding him. Can you tell me a bit about his past, because I think a lot of what we've heard about his early years is really framed around him being this Queensland police officer who decided to run for politics inspired by the problems that he saw in that role. But his political ambitions, they go further back than that, don't they? So where did it begin for him? Yeah, they do. And I think we we need to rethink the character of conservatism in Australia as a small business-based conservatism. And, and that was one that formed very much in the 1980s and 90s when when Labor was in power and small business felt felt victimised, particularly by up to 17% interest rates and what they saw as a Labor Party that was hostile to small business. And Peter Dutton grew out of that environment. Um, My family is a typical small business middle class family. When we were children, uh, mum and dad struggled to send us to good schools and worked and saved hard to provide for their sole focus, their family. Dutton spoke uh, about sitting around the family uh, kitchen table and hearing so much hatred for Keating. Mr Speaker, I first joined the Liberal Party when I was about 18 years of age, and for me it was a natural a party of natural choice. I'd always had an interest in politics, and to me the Liberal Party was a party founded in many ways on the principles of individualism and reward for achievement and he ran for Queensland Parliament at the end of the Joe Bjelke-Peterson era, which which is a, it also shows what a contrarian Dutton is, that he would run in a Labor seat for a Conservative Party at a time when the Conservatives were getting turfed out for good reason. Mm. It's an interesting decision, yeah, as a teenager. I know, and he got flogged, and he then went off into the police and spent nine years in the police force. Mr Speaker, I'm proud uh, of the fact that I had a distinguished career uh, in the police service and that that service saw me perform duties all over the great state of Queensland. And while that has crafted his persona, I guess, as this cop who came out of service as a detective in the Queensland police, he was very much on the political pathway uh, before then. And towards the end of his his police career, he joined the family business. He got involved in um, running and owning childcare centres. And as soon as he could, he ran for federal parliament in the seat of Dixon uh, on the outskirts of Brisbane, and he defeated Cheryl Curnow, and that was when he entered federal parliament. And so that election, when he entered federal parliament, what was it about the conditions at the time or what Australia was like at that moment that made a candidate like Peter Dutton electable? Dutton's very much a political acolyte of John Howard, and that was the, the high watermark of the Howard years. If you remember, Howard, Howard got in on a protest vote against Keating in 1996. 
how it actually lost the, the popular vote in 1998, but retained power due to the distribution of that vote in, in different electorates, but it was a very narrow win in 1998. But then in 2001, the September 11 attacks had happened. The Tampa incident was manipulated to motivate Australian conservative thinking. And that was when Dutton came into parliament. Mr Speaker, when we consider the challenges of our modern society, our aim to make our community an even better place is not an, even, not an easy task. In society today, we are experiencing unacceptable crime rates, causing older Australians to barricade themselves in their homes, all in the name of safety. So you can see that he was riding that wave of John Howard's popularity at that time, and Dutton has made himself in the Howard mould. We must face the reality that criminals in today's society are well resourced, uh, professionally operated and structured and administered and must be combated to ensure the fabric of our society remains intact. You know, he's a person who, who does respect the recent history of politics in this country and, and particularly the party, which is again a way of differentiating himself from Scott Morrison, who was much more a shape-shifting person who didn't really have a past, who just tried to be whatever he thought people wanted him to be next. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloan Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Malcolm, let's talk about the Peter Dutton that we know today. He's this hardline conservative figure within the Liberal Party, but how did he rise through the ranks and and what has he done to establish that reputation for himself? He rose very quickly in the Howard government and was given uh, ministerial positions not long after he became a parliamentarian. Many people will have formed a firm opinion about Peter Dutton from the things he said when he was Minister for Immigration, Home Affairs and Defence in the Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison governments. And this is where Dutton built up this record for being the guy who would step forward and say inflammatory things. Well, for many people, uh, they won't be... uh... Uh, you know, numerate or literate in their own language, let alone English. So he would speak of people in Melbourne being afraid to go out of home uh, because they were afraid of, of African gangs. The reality is, you know, people are scared to go out to restaurants at the night time because they're followed home by these gangs. Home invasions and cars are stolen and we just need to call it for what it is. Of course it's African gang violence. 
He described the Biloela children from Sri Lanka as anchor babies. They still had children. Uh, we see that overseas in, in other countries, anchor babies, so-called, and, and the emotion of trying to leverage uh, a migration outcome uh, based on the children. He said Australia had made a mistake in accepting so many Lebanese immigrants because they were potentially linked with, with terrorism and violence. Out of the last 33 people who have been charged with terrorist-related offences in this country, 22 of those people are from second and third generation Lebanese Muslim background. Now, I'm not going to allow... I'm not going to allow people... When he was Immigration Minister, he said a number of inflammatory things about refugees and quite offensive and disparaging for political purposes, which were to appeal, I suppose, to the Conservative base. Where I see people breaking the Australian law, I will call it out. And where I see people doing harm to Australians, I will call it out. And I'll tell you what else I'll call out, Mr Speaker. That is this weak leader of the opposition. You can't pretend to be the alternative Prime Minister it did seem that Dutton was cast in this role and believed himself pretty well suited to this role. There was nothing insincere about these statements he was making or put on. It was it was in the service of his party, in the service of a, of a political agenda. But I have quoted in the article the um, American football coach Bill Parcells who said, you know, ultimately you can say what you like, but you are what your record says you are. And I think that's probably the major you know, liability or, or heavy baggage that Dutton carries uh, as a, a party leader now. Mm, yeah, it's interesting on that idea of the political game. I think you make the point in your piece that some of the things that he's said and done in the past are quite clearly sort of playing for a tabloid audience. What is the distinction there between someone who is willing to say and do things um, for that audience versus someone who really believes, you know, in the things that they're saying? And do you get the sense that he is just a politician, like you say, willing to sort of play that game? Or do you think there is real conviction behind most of his beliefs? <laughs> I think it's kind of both. He's probably a, a politician suited for a very sceptical age because he seems pretty sceptical himself and and almost like a game player look i had to do this to win that game i had to do this to win the other game but we all know we all know it's a game don't we that's not something that suits the current moment because anthony albanese has come in with this air of uh you know no more games we're going to be straight with the australian people and we're going to play nice so as the cycle is at the moment this is not going to suit Peter Dutton, but, you know, he has a kind of fatalistic hope that the, the wheel will turn once more at some point in the future. Mm. At this point in time, it is hard to see that Peter Dutton could become Prime Minister in three years' time. What would have to happen for that to be a real possibility? And and do you get the sense that he does have the political capacity and I suppose also just the potential to be popular enough to actually get to the point where he would be a contender? It's very hard to imagine at this point that he can. And from what I gathered when speaking to him, he was quite realistic about that and certainly realistic about the fact that he really only has a hope electorally if some significant things go his way. And, you know, in going his way, it probably means going against Australia's way because his his best hope is that there's a major 
external economic shock that affects standard of living in Australia and and is eventually um, put at the feet of uh, the Albanese government. The other thing I guess he can hope for is if Labor reverts to its tradition of eating its own, and it's done that in the past, and I suppose as a student of history, Dutton lives in hope that the Labor Party in government will do that again. There are a few signs of that at the moment, but it's early days yet. And can you tell me a bit more about your conversations with him? How did Peter Dutton seem to want to present himself to you and how did you interpret his personality and and his priorities? Who is the Peter Dutton of 2022? You know, you've always got to be wary of the kind of Stockholm syndrome as a a reporter when you you speak to somebody and I'm as as prone to it as anyone else. You, You begin liking whoever you're talking to. Standing back from that, I think my overriding impression was that he's a consistent person and he's a straight person in the sense of there are not going to be many different dimensions discovered of Peter Dutton, you know, maybe mildly more likeable than you thought he was, but he's still defending the the positions he took. And I did actually ask him, I said, well, why do you want to back away from that when your main attraction to your party and and probably to their base is people reckon they know who you are. That's the major attraction after a person like Morrison, that they know what they're getting with, with Peter Dutton and he's going to do what he promises to do and he's going to be who he claims to be. And, you know, he said, I am maintaining that, that what you see is what you get. People haven't seen the full me before. He's trying to walk a pretty fine line between his record and the picture he wants to promote as a, you know, a more broadly appealing political leader. If you had a pretty dire preconception about him, you probably would have been a bit, a bit surprised by how um, personable he was. But realistically, I think. You've just got a person who's a pragmatic politician. He knows what he's up against. He's under no illusions about it. And he'll he'll just chip away the best he can. Malcolm, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks for having me. You can read Malcolm Knox's piece in the latest issue of The Monthly. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays. But her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, Elon Musk began his restructure of Twitter over the weekend, sacking approximately half of the company's staff. Musk has reportedly laid off the entire curation team, which was tasked with stopping the spread of misinformation, as well as the human rights team. And Australia has announced it will jointly bid with Pacific Nations to host the United Nations Climate Summit COP31 in 2026. This week, Energy and Climate Change Minister Chris Bowen will travel to Egypt to attend COP27. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.